Hello and welcome to Peach Pod, a Georgia politics podcast. My name is Kyle Hayes and I am your host. And on today's show, we are going to kick off our coverage of the 2022 election season. Listeners, I know you're excited. We are going to have the first of what are likely to be many conversations with candidates over the 2022 cycle. Today, we're going to talk with Charlie Bailey. He is a Democratic candidate for Attorney General. He recently announced he was going to run for that seat again. He was the Democratic nominee in 2018, but he came up short in his bid to defeat Georgia's current Attorney General, Chris Carr. Charlie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Kyle. Glad to be here. Virtually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everything's virtual these days. Ho- hopefully right. that's not a, hopefully we're reaching the end of that soon. Um, right. But let's start out, Charlie, with uh, reminding our listeners who you are. And can you tell us a little bit about your background and what led you to sort of take a second shot at this attorney general's position? Sure. Um, well, I'm uh, originally from Harris County, Georgia, which is on the west side of the state and went to the University of Georgia for undergrad and law school. Um, Went to work for Governor Barnes and his firm out of law school, doing uh, what I do now as as a trial lawyer, representing individuals against uh, usually insurance companies or or, uh, bigger corporations. Um, I then went to the district attorney's office in Fulton, Fulton County, um, and was a senior assistant district attorney there and uh, in the, in the last part is a uh, organized crime gang prosecutor and uh, then ran for attorney general, was the nominee in 2018. Um, went back into private practice. Uh, after that, my, uh, I'm not a dad, but my dad joke about it is that, you know, I got 49% of the vote, but uh, apparently they don't give you 49% of the office. That's not how that works. Um, so, uh, lost that race, went back into private practice, joined Cook and Conley, um, which is a firm based in Somerville, Georgia. I opened the Atlanta office, Bobby Lee Cook's uh, firm, the, the, the famed attorney. Um, and I'm doing that same kind of trial work, uh, personal injury, mainly um, plaintiff's work. So that's what I'm doing now. And, and you know, basically uh, my entire career has been spent trying to get people justice, whether that is civil justice or in the criminal justice system. Um, And, you know, those are the twin roles, what are supposed to be the twin roles of the attorney general. Um, And so, you know, I ran in 2018 because I disagreed with the way Chris was running that office with the priorities I didn't think that he was uh, doing what he should do to protect voting rights, to protect civil rights, to protect people's health care. You know, uh, didn't have an organized crime division, Uh, was just absent on a lot of the issues of of the day that the people that are out there, you know, busting it every day, you know, try to make life a little bit better for their kids, that he had that office focused on, whatever the partisan um, politics of the day were or whatever special interests wanted. And frankly, Kyle, we're now two years from that election. And um, if anything, those same things I criticize have gotten worse. We're still in the ACA litigation that would take away not only the health care of over 400,000 Georgians that are on the exchange, um, but prevent Medicaid expansion to over half a million Georgians and would put at risk the healthcare of over 4 million Georgians 
that have pre-existing conditions. He's got us in suits carrying water for the NRA. He's uh, been engaged in suits to roll back protections for 80% of the streams and creeks in our state and uh, has not taken any kind of stance against what the FBI director called the number one domestic terrorist threat uh, in this country, which is the violence posed by white supremacy. He still doesn't have that civil rights division that I called for in 2018. And so for many reasons, many the same, some maybe of heightened importance now, uh, I disagree with what he's doing. I disagree with the entire, um, I guess, foundation and priorities uh, that, that he's set up for that office. And um, uh, I think we got, well, I know we got about as close as you can get last time. And with uh, this state has continued to get uh, better and better for Democrats. And I think with starting earlier and with those um, kind of beneficial political um, tailwinds, we'll, we'll, we'll get it done this time. So news broke recently here that the fundraising arm of the Republican Attorneys General Association, an organization that Attorney General Chris Carr chairs, that group recorded a phone call telling Trump supporters to go to Washington, D.C. and demand that Congress block certification of the election. And as I'm sure our listeners know, that rally turned into an event on uh January the 6th, where a mob violently occupied the U.S. Capitol. Chris Carr's spokesman said that Carr had no knowledge or involvement in this robocall from the Attorney General's Association's fundraising arm. But you called for the Attorney General to resign following this. And I wanted to give you a moment to explain the gravity of this situation in your view and why you believe Chris Carr should resign as Attorney General. You know, I think I may have said this to you before. I'm not sure I've ever been angrier than I, than I was on Wednesday, um, watching as, as all of us did uh, that attack um, on the temple of, of our democracy. That was just the latest and the worst piece of evidence um, and a pattern of conduct, uh, which I view as a complete dereliction of duty abdication of responsibility and a betrayal of trust that the people of Georgia um, have placed in the person they elected as their, their attorney general. First off, I find it offensive that he actually hasn't said a word about it. His spokeswoman, you know, said words about it and she's doing her job, but she wasn't elected by the people of Georgia. He's not said one word, not one word to explain uh, what his organization was doing, uh, fomenting that kind of those kinds of violent um, conspiracy theories, what led to a violent insurrection and attempted coup um, in our capital, and it's a part of a pattern that if you if you look back, he didn't say one word when Donald Trump refused to denounce white supremacy on national television, not one word. He didn't say one word when the FBI director, as I mentioned earlier, gave testimony two and a half months ago in front of Congress that the greatest domestic terrorist threat was that posed by uh, violent white supremacy. He didn't say one word. He didn't open, not, didn't say one word, didn't open an investigation. Acts as if it's not even an issue. 
And that office has got a tremendous amount of power and it's got a tremendous amount of responsibility to stand up for the people of Georgia. And as, as this kind of poisonous um, rhetoric has been flying around over these, these few years, you know, when he also didn't say anything, he didn't say anything to denounce what Donald Trump said about Charlottesville. And when I find, I find it extremely offensive that uh, because of political benefit, because he thinks it's a political benefit or it would hurt him politically to denounce white supremacy from when you're the chief law enforcement official in this state, that you're tasked with protecting people, that you would put your own political future, however you view it, over protecting the lives of the people of Georgia. I just, I, it is shocking to me. It really is. And I don't think somebody that has that poor regard for the people of Georgia or poor judgment should be the attorney general. If he had honor, he would resign his position. And, you know, we learned last week what the result of this coddling of these conspiracy theories and this white supremacy and, and not denouncing it and calling for what it is and being active in investigating and rooting it out. Um, and it relates to, you know, I've talked about the forming of an organized crime division, which still doesn't exist. Part of what they would do is they would go after these domestic terrorists, you know, that, that are endangering as we speak uh, people's lives in the state of Georgia. I mean, that's what you're supposed to be doing as attorney general, not, you know, leading an organization that just to raise money, just to raise money and to stay in office to that money that will come back to, you know, pay for his campaigns. You put at risk our very democracy and, and people's lives. I mean, I, I just I can't even believe I'm saying those words. Really, I truly am. Not, I can't believe it. I've also found it notable that this wasn't this specific situation wasn't the only one I've seen where Chris Carr's been connected or, or groups that he's led have been connected to activist partisan politics. The Republican Attorneys General Association still has a survey on its website asking people to stop the Georgia Senate steal, referring to the Senate elections, uh, the runoffs that just concluded. And Attorney General Carr represented Georgia in a lawsuit seeking to overturn the Affordable Care Act with a legal rationale that was heavily criticized by experts. And as our listeners know, the ACA has been a target for Republicans going back to the Obama administration. Do you find this participation in partisan political activities to be unusual for an attorney general? And, and do you think it's inappropriate? Well, I don't think it's I, so I don't think it's an, a, inappropriate to be a Republican and be an attorney general. I don't think it's inappropriate to be a Democrat and be an, an attorney general. Um, I don't think it's inappropriate to support other Republicans if you're a Republican attorney general or to support other Democrats if you're a Democratic attorney general. What I do find, um, uh, let me, let me, because there's two questions there. I'll come to the ACA, but I'll start with, with, with the stop the steal. I do find it incredibly inappropriate um, when you're supposed to defend the Constitution both the state constitution and the United States constitution 
and an organization you lead is raising money off a conspiracy theory that puts in danger the very foundation of our democracy. I mean, the right to vote in a free and fair election, which Chris knows this, these, these elections were free and fair. He knows that. So cynically, cynically, he spreads the misinformation that is what leads to threats of violence and violence itself. And he puts, what I find inappropriate is putting, raising money to benefit himself politically above defending the election in this state, defending the constitution in this state and defending, you know, we don't, if, if, if we don't have free and fair elections and people don't believe the elections are free and fair, we don't have a democracy. That's the way it works. It falls, you know, it stops being a democracy. And so that's what I find inappropriate is, is you want to campaign for Republican? Okay. As long as the person's not, you know, I guess if you campaign for a race baiter like Kelly Leffler or David Perdue or Marjorie Taylor Greene, which he did, that's inappropriate. But I don't think it's inappropriate to be a Republican. It is inappropriate to put your own political, um, future or fundraising above what your what your duty is on the ACA. Uh, uh, I don't think it's inappropriate because it's Republican versus Democrat. I think it's wrong morally and legally. And that's even more important that he has been engaged in now for at least three years, at least three years, maybe a little bit over three years. Um, litigation that would take away the citizens of Georgia, take away their health care. He should be the one defending their health care. So I think it's morally flat out wrong. It's also one of the worst legal arguments I've ever read. I mean, a, a, a first year law student would get laughed out of class for making the kind of arguments that they've made. So I disagree with his ACA litigation that take away all these uh, our fellow citizens health care, but because it's because it's the wrong thing to do and it's a bad legal argument, not so much that it's inappropriate. I will use the office to challenge, you know, federal action if that federal action um harms the people of Georgia. So I don't think using the office to challenge federal action is in and of itself, you know, inappropriate. It depends on what you're doing. And that tells that tells you all you need to know about your priorities. Last summer, we saw demonstrations in cities across Georgia and across the country in response to the murders of Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd, among others. Since then, there have been calls to examine how policies how all of the policies of our criminal legal system are applied differently based on race. Have you given thought to the authorities granted to Georgia's attorney general and how a person in that role could ensure that the laws of our state are applied equitably? Yeah. So there's, um, I guess there's three ways to think about that. There are, you always have, regardless of the specific legal powers that statutes in the constitution grant you. You have a, a, a megaphone and a, um, a 
public position that allows you to stand up for what you think is right and to influence public opinion, to lobby the legislature and the governor. You have power in, inherent in that office that should be used. Um, there has been no, no attempt by Chris Carr to engage in criminal justice reform, whether that is, you know, um, advocating for passage of new laws in the legislature, or whether it is um, lobbying uh, district attorneys and solicitor generals and using your influence with law enforcement to um, bring about some changes that, that you don't have to wait on the legislature um, for. There's been zero effort, right? So I'm someone that believes in criminal justice reform and has practiced it as a, as a as a prosecutor, and I understand um, the gravity of the situation when someone goes to prison, because I've had to send. I mean, I've 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 had to send people to prison that were that were dangerous. I've also been in the position to um, say, yes, a crime was committed here, but for these reasons, we're going to give this person another chance. And I don't take that kind of um, um, that kind of power. Lightly, but it gives me an, an experience and an insight into what, you know, not only, you know, victims and victims' families go through, but also the defendants and their families. And that every individual, and at, at its core, what criminal justice reform about is that every individual deserves to be treated fairly, which we cannot say with a straight face happens in our system right now. Um, so, you have to be, and he should be, and he has not been a proponent and an advocate of that because it matters what your public um, position is. You gotta be willing to use your capital to advance um, those kinds of causes. So that's first. Second, if you don't have powers, you've got to go to the legislature and try to get them, right? You're not just a potted plant. If there's something that the people need and, you'd think, okay, if I, if I can get this power, I can help them with that. Then your job is to go get it, to go lobby for it, right? What I talked about in 2018 and what I'm talking about again, I'm going to build a civil rights division. Now, there's things that, that civil rights division can do right off the top, but it's also a part of that is going to be um, advocating for the passage of a state civil rights bill to give my civil rights division more tools uh, to do things like open pattern and practice investigations, right? Um, you mentioned Ahmaud Arbery, um, and this, this goes back to the third thing, and that's the powers that exist right now. If Chris understood prosecution and if he prioritized civil rights, then Ahmaud Arbery's mother would not have had to wait for her justice. She would not have had to be the one to keep calling the attorney general's office and say, something is messed up down here. Will someone please help me? And, but for someone else leaking that video, she wouldn't have gotten that justice because it was Chris Carr that appointed that second district attorney. And some people can get lost in some of the legalese here, but the laws it's written right now is if a DA recuses themselves that case becomes the attorney general's. 
By operation of law and the attorney general then makes a determination of whether to keep that case or whether to appoint it to a, a, another district attorney or a, a district, district attorney pro tem, you know, basically a, a, a private lawyer that'll handle the case. Um, Chris appointed at the recommendation of the first district attorney that recused herself, Jackie Johnson, a district attorney that he himself had a conflict. And see, if he understood, if he understood prosecution and if he prioritized civil rights, that never would have happened. They rubber stamped a recusal from the recusing DA, which is inappropriate in and of itself. They didn't even do an investigation to determine whether that person, Barnhill, was conflicted. Something Ahmaud Arbery, uh, his mother knew and kept telling the AG's office and they, um, and they disregarded it because you can say whatever you want to say about believing people are equal, but your actions, your deeds tell, tell everyone what it is you truly believe. So um, if I had been elected in 2018 and we had built that civil rights division, everybody in my office would have known and they will know when I'm attorney general, um, a case like that comes in, then it's got to be, it's got to be truly investigated to determine. And all you need to know is just a few facts from that case to know there's something really messed up down there. We're not sending it to somebody else. We're handling the case. So that folks in Brunswick know that they can get equal justice. They need to know that their attorney general, if they're not getting justice from their local officials, they need to know that their attorney general will give them that justice. And, you know, that is what I will do as attorney general, bringing a, a different set of foundational beliefs um, about what is important and what is what is the highest priority. And, you know, that's just one example. Um, but how many examples are there, right? That's the one that made the papers. But how many times has it been justice denied to a mother because they had an attorney general that didn't understand prosecution or prioritize civil rights? Amidst the COVID-19 pandemic, the operations of the Georgia Department of Labor have come under scrutiny. Six Georgians recently sued the department over the department over the department's failure to process their unemployment insurance claims. And a group of Georgia state senators has called for Attorney General Carr to perform an audit of the department. If you were Attorney General today, do you think it would be an appropriate use of the Attorney General's authority to audit a state government department over potential state law violations? And and sort of more generally, how do you feel about that sort of process of the attorney general providing, I'm not sure if oversight's the right word, but but playing a part in whether or not a state agency is is performing its duties up to the law. Well, yeah, it first off, you yes, you have a role um, to play there. I mean, you have statutory authority than anything, you know, in, involving um, the state. And if you, if there is a uh, a department that is you know violating uh, citizens rights, not, not following, you know, the law. I mean, there is a twin role that, that, that the attorney general has, like you are, um, you're the lawyer for the state. So you defend the state and you defend its agencies and, 
when they are when they are sued. But that doesn't mean you defend unconstitutional actions, illegal actions. And you're also you have to be the watchdog. Right. You if, if there is something corrupt or there's something illegal or there's something unconstitutional going on with a state agency, um, yes, it is entirely appropriate for the attorney general and the attorney general's office <clears throat> to say, to come in, to, to uh, do an investigation. If there are people that are violating the law, hold them accountable. You can open an investigation. It may not even get that far though. I mean, maybe they're requesting an audit you, you do the audit and you find what you find. And your duty is ultimately not to bureaucrats and it's not to legislators. Your duty ultimately is to the people of Georgia. And, you know, those agencies are set up to serve the people of Georgia. If they're not operating in uh, a way that is in accordance with the law, then it's your duty to do something about it. And maybe that's fall short of an investigation. Maybe it has to be an investigation. It, it kind of depends on the situation. Um, but far too often, the reflexive um, uh, impulse of, of, of this attorney general has been not what is legal, what is right, what is constitutional, and what is, what is best for people, but, oh, it was done by the state. We have to defend it. It doesn't matter what it was. And that is, um, I don't think that is what people expect out of their attorney general. And I don't think that's the proper uh, role for the attorney general. I think continuing on a similar line of thinking here, you and I talked during your last campaign, and and you said that you believe that partisan gerrymandering was unconstitutional under the Equal Protection Clause. Republicans maintained control of the legislature following the 2020 elections, and they are likely to draw maps that maximize their party's advantage in the legislature. House Speaker David Ralston essentially conceded this at a pre-session press conference last week. Should Georgia's maps be put before a court again following this year's redistricting process, would you defend those maps in court as Georgia's attorney general? Well, it depends on, and, and it depends on what the maps what the what the gerrymander is if it is a i mean um i'm not going to prejudge something that's not done yet but um i do believe uh that partisan gerrymandering is unconstitutional that it's a violation of the equal protection clause um and if it is a partisan gerrymander um, or a racial gerrymander um i will refuse to defend it uh, in court on constitutional grounds um, and I will file uh, an amicus brief on behalf of, of whoever the plaintiffs are that have challenged it, laying out the reasons why um, whatever the legislature did, if it is a partisan gerrymander, laying out the reasons why um, it is, I believe, it's unconstitutional. And I, and I think, again, um, that role of the attorney general, Chris and I have a disagreement over, but the Supreme Court um, agrees with me that the attorney general of the state of Georgia uh, is the one to decide what the legal position of, of the state of Georgia is. And if um, a, an action of the state of Georgia is itself unconstitutional, then your higher duty is to the constitution, not to, again, whatever, you know, unelected bureaucrat or, or legislator, um, your duty is not to them above the constitution. 
We've gone through some of the most pressing issues that I've seen that the state faces today, but are there any other issues you'd like to speak on before we go? Well, you know, you know, what I want and what I see for that office, you know, when when I'm attorney general is I want people to understand, um, that what we are going to be driven by is what is in the best interest of the people of Georgia, what protects their voting rights, what protects their civil rights, what protects their, their right to uh, breathe clean air and drink clean water, their right to health care, uh, their right to live a life and leave a life for their kids with more opportunity than, than they had. That, that is what will um, drive that office. And so whether it come, whether it's the ACA, whether it's investigating and taking down uh, white supremacist domestic terrorist organizations, whether it's taking down organized crime syndicates um, that are robbing our youth of their lives and sending them to, uh, to prison or the coffin, whether it is uh, litigation that would, um, uh, you know, bar offshore drilling off our coast, um, and whether it is investigating corrupt politicians or corrupt bureaucrats that are exploiting, you know, the people of Georgia and wasting uh, their taxpayer dollars, the focus on any issue is going to be what defends the people of Georgia, not what defends and what takes care of special interests, not what is best for my political party or my political future, um, but what protects them. And that's my promise to the people of Georgia is when I'm attorney general, they're not going to have to wonder who I get up every morning thinking about and, and fighting for. And, you know, that, that's my promise. And that's what I will, uh, that's what I'll carry carry out. Well, Charlie, you are a Democratic candidate for attorney general. Uh, this is an election. The The general election will be happening in November of 2022. We'll also have primaries for this election uh, next summer. Uh, so for so for those of you listeners who were exhausted of campaign season, it honestly, it never ends. Um, we're, we're bringing it back to you here. Uh, but if listeners would like to learn more about your campaign for attorney general, Charlie, how could they do that? Um, the, uh, the website is charlieforgeorgia.com. You can also find us on, uh, Twitter, um, or Facebook fairly, uh, easily type in Charlie Baylor, you type in Charlie for Georgia. They both, they both come up, um, and, uh, we'll keep communicating with voters, uh, throughout this, throughout this process. And, and I welcome any and all comments, suggestions, and I hope to earn everybody's uh, vote and support in this uh, uh, in this election. Charlie Bailey, a Democratic candidate for attorney general in 2022. Thanks for joining the show. And, and we hope you'll come back and talk with us again soon. Absolutely. Kyle. Thank you. Man. Thanks for tuning into Peach Pod. If you liked what you heard, subscribe to Peach Pod on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back with another episode next week. Until then, take care, y'all.